Welcome to those that have found our podcast, a 30,000 foot view, just one of a stream of new podcasts coming out of the team at the GOAT Agency. Here we will be discussing both marketing and business in a world that slowly, very slowly, is getting used to everything uh, that is currently going on and where it finds itself. I'm Sam Fowler, a senior account manager here at the GOAT Agency and very much leading the insight and knowledge of the show is Mr. Aaron Shepard, one of our three founders at the GOAT Agency. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Sam. Great to be here. Looking forward to your quiz later. Oh, yes. Well, it's a highlight of everyone's week at the GOAT Agency, I feel. Um, Granted, there's a couple of, uh, you know, murmurs that the questions are a little bit difficult. But look, you know, everyone needs a little bit of a challenge. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) One person that also takes part in our quiz is our guest, of course. It's someone that myself and Aaron know very well and speak to this gentleman on a regular basis. He's the co-founder and CEO of Disability Horizons and co-founder and CEO of Purple Goat. Please welcome Mr. Martin Sibley. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Vave. How are you doing? Very well, very well. I was interested in talking about the uh, the quiz there. It was a absolute roller coaster last week. I was top halfway <laughs> through and then dropped about 15 places after one round. Look, it gets you. It gets you. There's those there's, there's few questions that just throw people off, you know? I mean, the the notable one being how many seeds are on a strawberry. But look, you know, people need to know that sort of stuff. It's vital stuff. Um, <laughs> it is vital. I guess the one place we wanted to kickstart this uh, podcast, uh, Martin, is very much sort of a bit of background of yourself and sort of the difficulties, um, you know, you had, I guess, as, you know, uh, cu- uh, you know growing up and sort of as a child. Because obviously me and Aaron sort of know your background, but we just want to bring that to a wider audience, you know, um, about yourself and sort of introduce yourself, I guess. Sure, yeah, no, thank you. It's, it's great to be able to, you know, obviously share a personal story, but very much through the prism of representing disability into new places and spaces. And I think, you know, people know the word disability and very often without realising it, most people do know someone quite close with a disability, but wouldn't necessarily label it or realize it like we've got grandparents with you know reduced mobility or the hearing gets a bit less and the sight gets a bit worse and you know in the end it's very prevalent in life but I think it also just seems to come with some stigmas and sometimes funny stereotypes and that's very much been my professional you know career to break down those barriers and raise awareness and educate on that and so in terms of my my background, I've got a disability called spinal muscular atrophy, which very few people have really heard of. But when I say it's under the umbrella of muscular dystrophy, then a few more people sort of know what it is. But in in terms of day to day, it means that I, I've always had my dis, my particular disability. Um, I've never been able to walk. I had my first quite fast powerful electric wheelchair when I was three years old so I look back and I don't know how some of my nursery friends didn't get um you know run, run over, over by yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. um but thankfully there was no accident but you know I have had a pretty good cool looking wheelchair since the age of three um, not the same one just to add um and then yeah like I have to have a lot of care support um literally to help me get dressed and get out of bed and have a shower and cook food and so you know you can tell like physically I am very limited Um, and and being in the wheelchair there's a lot of barriers around getting into buildings and transport already touched upon the attitudinal barriers that that I have had to come up against 
and the sort of policy barriers, both government policy and business policy, which we'll probably t- you know tackle a bit more later on in the interview. Um, but yeah, growing up, I went to uh, the local primary school um, and they were very good at building the necessary ramps and, you know, giving me the staff members that could support me with some of my physical needs. But at the same time, I still was able to do the normal curriculum, which, you know, decades and generations before me, it was more segregated, even if someone like myself doesn't have a, a learning disability or, you know, some kind of cognitive disability. Uh, disabled people were just generally segregated and very much far away from mainstream society. So I think I'm quite fortunate in a way to be of a generation where I could go to mainstream school. Um, Secondary school was a bit more challenging that the local school wasn't accessible and I had to go about half an hour away to a school that was accessible and that was a bit, bit of a trauma at the time but I adapted and met new friends and yeah, went on to get GCSEs and A-levels and go off to, to university where I did economics and a master's in marketing. And for me, the big thing about university actually was it was not about the getting the grades, not, that wasn't difficult. And the, the idea of going to another city and getting away and broadening my horizons was very thrilling. But it was that care point I touched upon earlier that not having my mum and dad doing my care as they'd done through my childhood. Um, yeah, it, it meant that was quite a big move on to, to uni. So yeah, there's a few sort of bit of a potted history getting me up to uni, but is there anything in that you'd like me to go a bit deeper on? You'd like to know a bit more about? Well, I'd love to know about your, the thing that I've always been, you know, in, impressed with you about is that you've never, like there's no sort of, reference re- I mean there is when someone asks you a question but you've never brought up your disability in any conversation with me I've never felt like um it holds you back in any way shape or form but you know the society not matching up to the needs of certain people does hold them back uh, how did you deal with that as a kid how did you deal with the fact that that first school wasn't accessible I mean how the first time you sort of understood that and started to take that on how how was that i assume your parents were were hugely in, important in setting your mindset and everything else but i'd love to understand where your mindset comes from how it, how you are so strong mentally yeah so i think at the age of 10 11 when the there was this thing about not being able to go to the local secondary it was very much my mum and dad that took the fight and and they really did fight hard to try and get it adapted and to get me into that school and it wasn't successful but I know they tried very very hard and obviously the issue was there was just too many steps there to get around in a wheelchair and the cost of putting ramps and lifts was just too much at the time and I'm pleased to say that school has improved over um, the 20 odd years since that that was happening and you know people are able to go to that school now I think that that general change and improvement is a good point to to make. But in terms of mindset, um, very much from mum and dad, as you say, I think there's a, you know, partly nature. Sort of my mum particularly is very, um, always looks for positives and optimistic. And, you know, there's always a, a way around everything. Even when there were health crises, when I was quite ill um, with sort of pneumonia and chest infections, and even when all that school stuff was going on, you know, my parents were always very sort of, we'll get through it and 
there will be a way and you'll come out the other end shining. So a lot lot of thanks to mum and dad and other friends and family. And I suppose, yeah, just taking that onwards, um, it, it's just a general thing that I like to, to dream big and, and have big goals, whether it's professionally or, you know, traveling around the world and doing some of the adventures I've done over the years. And in, inevitably, whether there's a goal big or small, there is always going to be friction and barriers and resistance. That's just a human journey, really, the hero's journey, if you like. Um, and so it's just always been about, you know, pacing myself, knowing my limits and being quite self-aware when I maybe do need to take a break or a bit of a rest or do something a little bit differently sometimes. But ultimately, it's around perseverance and just not giving up. And the, the book I wrote about my travel memoirs is everything is possible and I really believe that when you want something bad enough it, it doesn't matter any any limitation whether it's physical like my physical disability but any limitation that we all find it's universal that there is always a way around it. It's a great attitude to have. Um, something that you've touched on a little bit and obviously you mentioned with with the fact that your school or that school was wasn't accessible but is now. How how do you see that things have changed over the last 50, 60 years? You know, how much have things changed? There's obviously still a lot to change. Where where are we on that in your mind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot, there's definitely been a lot, a lot of change over decades and generations. When I was sort of talking earlier and I touched upon the physical environment, the attitudes of people and the policies within a society. So and it kind of loops a little bit back to mindset as well, that when I was younger, I felt that I was the problem, that I've got this genetic health condition, which is, you know, nobody's fault. It's just pure randomness that that's how it all turned out. But I still felt that I was the issue in terms of how society viewed me and people like me. And when I had my first job in London out of university with the disability charity Scope, they did a lot around and they still do a lot about the social model of disability. And when they framed it, that the problem is with society, that those barriers in those three areas I keep touching on are actually through design, that disabled people just weren't thought of and included when we designed buildings and when we've evolved our culture and when we created our policies if disabled people weren't part of that decision making it's no wonder it doesn't include them and so I think there's, there's been a lot around disability rights particularly in the 70s and 80s it was a massive political movement and it all very much followed other civil rights struggles and people were in the streets and chaining their wheelchairs to buses it was like hardcore public demonstration because nobody saw and heard us and it you know that's where the the nothing about us without us tagline that we're very much you know using at purple goat comes from it's around the disability rights movement and then gradually that there were laws passed and you know there was more in the media um, and I think when we get a bit more up to date the London 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games propelled disability more into the media limelight in a in a positive way so i think that those big infrastructural changes like the london underground which is 
only one third of the stations are wheelchair accessible, which of course is, you know, relevant to buggies for parents and older people with, with less mobility as much as a wheelchair user like myself. But, you know, that stuff is going to take a while to, to get that renovated and, and made more accessible. But I certainly think attitudes are have improved drastically and that's starting to play out in those other areas as well. So why is why is that? Because, you know, there'll be people out there thinking, but if it's the law, then surely everywhere is accessible. You know, how can it be the law and that be the case? So in the UK, we have the Equalities Act 2010 and that swallowed up the Disability Discrimination Act, which was in 95 and updated in 2005. So the Equalities Act covers broad range of things, including disability. And under that law, it talks about reasonable adjustments and there lies the difficulty. And there, there are reasons that that word is so woolly from a business perspective. If a business was sued because they didn't have a ramp, but the cost of putting that ramp or a lift obviously being more expensive, if the cost of that adaptation would put them out of business, that's not a balanced compromise. Like that's not going to be going down well with businesses yeah, yeah. as an understatement. So that's the that's where we are as we're trying to dance around. We all want inclusion of disabled people but we have to have that reasonable adjustment. And I think maybe the the downside is that there are businesses that know that they can get away with that because it's so woolly. And also there are a lot of disabled people that don't know how to utilise the law and actually take a case forward and they have to do it at their own financial risk. So there's a few factors as to why it's not really working as well as it should. But I think, again, as you and I have spoke a lot about, Aaron, the business case is more the carrot, whereas the law and the equalities act is more the stick. So how, how you know, a third of the um, of of the tube network have have lifts. So what so they they'd be accessible, for example, what what rough percentage of the UK is actually accessible? I mean, in terms of generally, I mean, buildings have got a lot better the the one area that's been harder is the sort of heritage you know protected um cultural buildings mm. and again there's a whole research and movement that you can have the heritage and culture with accessibility um it's a bit of a myth that you either have heritage or you have accessibility so it's all education and awareness and progress over time but barring that protected group a lot more buildings have become accessible. I suppose housing is the hardest one. Like a lot of houses, you know, have a step here and obviously have upstairs by, by definition of a house. Um, so housing is a far more drastic issue percentage wise. I mean, I, I would even say five or 10% are accessible. It's a bit of a guess, but I know personal experience housing was a real issue. Whereas the more sort of public buildings i don't know maybe 70 75 percent but it you know, it just depends on industry and areas for me when we talk about disability I mean, even the name's pretty negative isn't it? it's like not ability and 
we talk about some of the stigmas and all the, all the stuff we've been talking about. For me, where I'm at in the, the awareness raising and now the actual business solution with you guys and Purple Goat is inclusion. And inclusion actually is, as I said earlier, it's parents with buggies and it's older people that have less mobility and different health conditions. And the more we unite people, and you start to get a bit Martin Luther King, I have a dream about it, but it's so true that the more people are having common values and coming together, the easier it is to have universal design and inclusive design. The problem is when groups are sort of pitted against each other. There's a classic case about a bus. There's only really enough room on a bus for a wheelchair or a buggy. And then it went to the courts. It was who gets the priority, the wheelchair or the, you know, the, the buggy. And what about having buses that can have wheelchairs and buggies, right? I think one of the big, and you mentioned it earlier, one of the big moments that I think changed a lot of people's opinions on the community was the Paralympics in, in 2012. And certainly for me, was the first time that I'd looked at um, athletes with a disability with pure admiration. There was nothing else. It was just, oh my God, like Ellie Simmons is incredible. And, um, you know, um, Tani Gray Thompson's incredible. You know, there's yeah, just the, some... the time I remember really buzzing on it. I mean, I was living and working in London at the time. And so there was just a really amazing feeling just to have Olympic and Paralympic Games in our country and in, in the city I was living in at the time. Um, and I think as a disabled person, it it was cool to have role models, really. I mean, at the end of the day, growing up, there weren't a whole lot of disabled role models. I mean, Stephen Hawking is like the the literally the main name that everyone would refer to as disabled and successful. Fortunately, more sort of last 10, 20 years, there are role models in all other sectors and industries and parts of life. And obviously, yeah, we're working now with some really amazing influencers. Um, so I think, yeah, it was great to have this new type of role model. I think as things have played out, I was um, doing my daily live stream yesterday for Mental Health Awareness Week, and we were saying that the downside of it is that society think if you're disabled, the main calling in life is to be a Paralympian. And like, I, I'm just too lazy in terms of physical exercise and you know dedication like I'm not going to be a Paralympian that's not my calling the way a non-disabled person's probably not going to be an Olympian so I think we should idolize those Paralympians for the amazing people and and skilled athletes that they are and then as a consequence we're also just trying to say particularly in a media context that what about the normal day-to-day -day lives of disabled people it doesn't need to be the charity and the benefit story, although that does exist and that's part of it. And it doesn't have to be the triumph over tragedy of climbing a mountain and being a Paralympian, despite your adversity. It's that we all have dreams, we all have passions and let's tell that more everyday story of disability. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a big thing for me as well, like London 2012, was and I, I I'm not ashamed to admit it was the first Paralympics that I properly watched and it was because at that point like you say it was here in London it's my home 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 city so you know I'm I'm gonna watch everything and I thought it was incredible but I think that the one thing that sort of came off 
the back for me. And also, I, th- I think it speaks for itself in the um, sort of, I guess, the, the longevity that this program has had is things like The Last Leg. Now, The, la- the Last Leg started as just a review show at the end of the Paralympics to say, we, we've got a couple of comedians and they're going to, you know, talk about the, um, you know, they're going to talk about what's gone on that day in the Paralympics. But it became something so much more in a sense of I'd never heard disabled people speak about disability in that way. And in the same way, in the same frame of thought, I didn't know it was OK for people with disability to describe disabilities or speak about disabilities in that way. If you if you get my meaning, like it's it was very much like Aaron said, it's the whole thing of like political correctness around it. But is that not, you know, is that sort of just is is this how we should be discussing disability the way that last leg does? I mean, I'd, I'd be great to know how, you know, you view the last leg and things like that. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's the the absolute positive legacy is that it took the the athletic side of the Paralympics, it put disability in the media and then, yeah, you've ended up with a show that's gone on for years ever since. It's got disabled presenters, so there's like a whole, that's a different role and a different role model as we talked about earlier. But I think also you're referring to the hashtag they always do, is it okay? And there was some like pretty weird and wonderful and sometimes sordid examples because, yeah, I mean, it's, I think people are just not being exposed to disability historically and it just whatever is different makes us feel uncomfortable as people and the more we normalize and just show disabled people have bad sense of humor and disabled people you know some are bastards and some are funny and like it's it's just to normalize it is really the key to changing attitudes and having inclusion so that was that i actually stole that from from Martin Sam, the political correctness stuff, and I was on a I was on a call with Martin the other day, and he said it. He said, um, "Political correctness is the enemy of inclusion," um, and I just thought, "God, that is so right. That is so right." The biggest fear of everyone is, "Oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I won't do anything." Um, but Martin, I'd love for you to just just t- you know give your thoughts on that specifically. You know, inclusion. You know, sorry, um, political correctness. I think started with good intentions, but actually it prohibits the community from being treated the same as everyone else, which is therefore against inclusion. So what what are your thoughts on that, political correctness in general? Yeah, I mean, the best way is to give examples and stories, right? So like when I'm out and about, I, I can't lift my arm and my hands up very much at all. So there's always this awkward moment where people go to shake my hand and I'm happy for them to shake my hand but they're not sure if I'm happy and so like it's that it's that awkwardness I and mean, in fact Scope did a big campaign called End of the Awkward and it was just trying to uh, you know get get over those kind of awkwardnesses I'm describing on a personal level there but it's the political correctness that makes that person feel that they're failing they've done something wrong they are bad, they're a bad person because they tried to shake my hand and maybe they shouldn't have done and it's ridiculous. Like, how could they know that's the situation for me? And obviously we talked about there's 1.3 billion people with a disability in the world. There's a lot of variety of different health conditions and, and you know segments of, of our community. And so 
you know, nobody could know how every single disabled person is going to interact. But in other walks of life, we just ask someone. We just say quite frankly, like, do you need a hand? You know, how should I refer to you in this context? But yeah, because of political correctness, people almost would cross the street and avoid any confrontation rather than, you know, rather than actually risking it wrong. And I think that's that's the real key. You know, are people if people would avoid going up to someone at an event because they're worried about interacting with them in the wrong way, then that person who you're worried about loses out on the potential interaction because of a fear that doesn't exist, you know, which is, it's it's just so easy to see. And, and you know, when you said it the other day, I just thought, God, that is just so true. Um, yeah, I mean, the other side of that, of course, is like when I've, I, mean, I've, I haven't been to a nightclub in a while I'm more settled with my fiance and hot hot chocolate and slippers does me just fine now but when I was in my you know rowdier clubbing days um that point people have a bit of alcohol and they'll like be hugging me and kissing me and patting me on the head and saying oh my god it's great to see you out so it's just quite funny how there's sort of the swing to two extremes all the time as well yeah yeah, that's, and I imagine that is not what you're looking for. No, I mean, and people it. literally have come up and be like, so can you have sex then? And it's like, hi, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. You know, like, is that a proposition? Or Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you offering? <laughs> um, I think it's, I think it's key that we sort of move the conversation onto like the, 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 what we're currently seeing. And obviously with everything COVID-19, what, what, is the reaction from the disabled community do you feel around covid-19 and and how has it affected the community yeah i'd probably break it down into two areas so on the health side a lot of and let's be clear not all disabled people are under that government labeled category of vulnerable and also as i've been trying to bang home the last two months even those like myself that are at higher risk of COVID-19, I still don't feel I'm a vulnerable person in general. And I get why, from a health perspective, that label was attributed in in a context. But we have to be careful that we don't come out the other side of COVID-19 where disabled people are synonymous with vulnerability because that's just as negative as we're talking about disability, really, the word. Um But in terms of the practical side, there were these discussions about, you know, if there's a limitation of uh, ventilators and they have to choose who gets the ventilator, a disabled person may not get it. They would lose out in that moment. And there's, you know, there's lots going on with COVID-19. We get that difficult decisions have to be made throughout. But again, it's that public attitude that, oh, disability is sort of dispensable we just have to be very careful of that public narrative and also social care wise with the corona bill that the government passed they've disbanded the care act and it's all to do with you know if there are crisis measures and lack of budgets etc but obviously if you've got someone that's in need of full-time care like regardless of what's going on with corona or no corona but even within the context of it, you know, people still need that that care to be safe and healthy, etc. So the the health the health and social care area has been 
concerning for a lot of people, both the actual decisions, but the potential consequence of those narratives and discussions. So that, that's been a bit of a negative, but I think there's been a whole lot of positives. There are disabled people that are at home a lot of the time for different reasons. And there are people like myself where, you know, maybe like the winter months, I'm more at home because my energy is a bit lower. And then maybe in the summer, I'm a bit more out and about. But like, regardless of it, home study, home working, home leisure, it's the norm at the moment. And that's been very inclusive and liberating for a lot of disabled people that have been asking for this for years. So it's something that we're, you know, we're looking, you know, we've, we've obviously released our office now and we'll be, you know, we will go back to having some form of office, but it, you know, we're always going to have a flexible working situation from this point onwards. So, and I, I can't imagine that we're going to be the only ones. Now, historically, we have not had that, to be clear. We have, we have had a policy that really we want everyone in the office nine to five. And I, I understand now how difficult that is if you're not able to actually get to the office and it becomes something that rules people out when to be a good employee for us is not dependent actually on whether or not you can physically get to the office right yeah, it's We're, output people, and, isn't it it's yeah creativity it's skills exactly. yeah yeah, people are using their brains. They're not, you know, we're not a building site. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how, how much you can lift. It's how much you can handle from a from a mental capacity point of view um, and from a creativity point of view and a whole load of other skills that are much more intangible. So, I, I mean, I certainly think from our side, it's going to be much, much easier for people in the community to get into work at, at Goat, obviously at Purple Goat, but even at Goat as well. I'm seeing the same from places like Twitter and Shopify, and and I'm sure we're going to see lots and lots more businesses operate from work, you know, operate work from home. It that seems to me like it's going to create a huge opportunity to bring a much higher percentage of disabled people into the workforce because it will level the playing field. Um, is that a big benefit that you see coming? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's great to home in on the workforce because I think opening up economic opportunity to disabled people, it's such a snowball effect that, you know, you and I, Aaron, had a chat with um, a potential client over in the week and they were asking us around, yeah, but is there lesser economic sort of um, spending power of disabled people? And, yeah, we know that there are massive numbers. It's 250 billion per year in the UK is the spending power of a household with a disabled person. And whether you're working or you're on benefits, you still have to do the weekly shop, you still have internet, the sort of basics of living in England, right, in the UK in 2020. So I think with or without work, there's a lot of spending power, but obviously we want to get more disabled people. And I'm very, a lot of disabled people have done a lot of education, they've gone through that but they're just hitting barriers to employment and a lot of it's because of the transport difficulties and also the attitudes of employers that they just are not open to certain adaptions and flexibility which yeah right back to where we are in COVID-19 that that is changing and of course tech is a massive thing that you know if we had COVID-19 20 years ago disabled or not it would all look very different wouldn't it oh yeah yeah so for those that for those that don't know who are listening, um, 
I know Sam said it earlier, but but Martin is is uh, Harry Nick and I's co-founder on on Purple Goat, which is our uh, agency that operates in the same way as Goat, but specifically at the disabled community. Um, really focused on showing brands that there's that there's value there. What you know, what couple of things do you think needs to change? from what's been happening for the last five to 10 years? And then what needs to happen now to take this to another level? Yeah, I mean, so to just bang that drum a little bit is the health and social care from a government perspective. It has to be looked at around your investing in your, you know, your citizens, that it's um, disabled people, there's human rights, there's the law. But also, as I touched upon before, the more you unlock people's potential by enabling them to be as healthy as possible, enabling us to be as productive and skilled and all of those types of things, the far greater the benefits as an economy, as a society. So it's it's really not back into this just a moral thing or a charity thing. It's absolutely about benefiting everyone. It's a win-win-win. And then when we move into the sort of business world and very much where we are now in advertising and influencer marketing it's about representation so if you're a company selling products and services you know 20 percent of your customer base has a disability that that's statistically proven yet 0.06 percent of adverts have a disabled person in it or is about disability so it's the same with staff as well you would want untapped talent in your workforce that understand your or 20 percent of your customer base to to do customer service to innovate new ideas and you want that in your advertising and marketing as well and i think that the, like having people if we can get staff if we can get the community into brands then i think it will erode the political correctness side of it because it takes me 10 seconds to know whether i'm crossing a line or not because i could just have a conversation with you and you'll go oh no shouldn't no not that or you'll go, yeah, that, that's great. And the more we can get the community into agencies and brands, then the less concern there will be about saying the wrong thing because you, you'll be listening to someone within that community. And, you know, that's how people do this with other stuff. You know, when we're running a gaming campaign, there's someone who's a really hardcore gamer running it. When we're running a, a fashion campaign, there's someone Hello. that's really, really into it. Exactly, Sam Fowler. Not fashion, though, I may say. No, not fashion, not you fashion. Know, so, Especially not the summery shirt I'm wearing right now. It's awful, but there we go. And I think that is that is just so critical. And, the, you know, the the vast majority of people that I, I guess are even working in inclusion and disability, a lot of them are also not in the community, and some of them are, but then they're fighting organisations where 99.9% of people aren't and so they're always well there's a, this is only a tiny community no no it isn't it's 20 percent and if if 20 percent of their staff were disabled no brand would ever ask the question of should we advertise to this community because it would they just have to look around their office and they'd see all the consumer opportunities but because they can't get them into the workforce then they've got no one to advocate for them. And it's a, it's, a, it's a vicious circle that just can't be broken. So you know, I really hope that COVID changes that because if we can get people into the workforce, it will change this in my mind. Yeah, and as you mentioned about you know the tagline as well, nothing about us 
without us. And when you mentioned about fashion, I got asked to speak at an all-parliamentary roundtable discussion where they're getting research around inclusivity and particularly looking at disability in fashion and advertising. And so as the CEO of Purple Goat, it's something I can go in and do, but I'm not so up on the, the particular sort of fashion and beauty world. But, you know, we've got those connections, so I've put someone else forward. And it's not just because they're, whether they're blind or in a wheelchair, but it's they've got that talent and experience within those different industries that are in an economy. So there are experts out there already doing their thing. It's just, I think we're just trying to join the dots at last. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, once brands start to see the the return from a financial investment point of view, and, and you said it earlier, the 0.06% of adverts being targeted at the community, that's 22% of the population, is insane and anybody listening to this can understand that it's it's don't need to be a marketeer you know if you spend you know that essentially brands advertise to the disabled community one day a year they advertise 0.06 percent is one three hundred and sixtieth of 22 percent so one day a year they spend money advertising to that community and the rest of the the rest of the time they basically tell them to piss off you know and it's 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 it, it doesn't make sense. They would never tell 20% of their audience to go away. And anyone that says, oh, yeah, but they don't spend as much. 16-year-olds don't spend as much as 45-year-olds either. But I can assure you brands spend a lot more targeting 16-year-olds than they do the disabled community. So, you know, it can't just be, well, their average spending power is X and that one's Y. Put them all together and you can see there's a huge community with spending power there. Yeah, and the early conversations we've had through Purple Goat with brands of different, all different sizes, big and small, the first reaction is basically to overcomplicate it. People are like, oh, so we could maybe change the packaging so that it's, you know, better for this group. And it's like, great idea. Let's have a look at that in a year or two. Let's start with what's already good with your product or service for disabled people and looking at subsections let's do marketing campaigns let's bring more profit into your business then let's look at innovation as well so it, it's a journey and i love the fact that people wanted to get stuck in and do big things straight away but the problem with that is then you come up against more barriers because it's too big too soon so i think from a marketing point of view it's marketing 101 you're just understanding your audience understanding your product and service and talking about it the values the benefits in a marketing way and all of that is very easy to do for most businesses now and then we just build up to making it better and better over the future you're you're a marketeer first and foremost martin like anything aside you are a marketeer so like the big thing that we've been asking people when they come on to here is what is the marketing mix? Like, what is that in the next couple of months? How do you see brand spending at the moment, I guess? And not just, uh, you know, towards, you know, people with disability, but in general, where do you see, you know, marketing budgets going in the next three to four months? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like when we've been putting together pitches and proposals with Purple Goat and the Goat Agency, you know, very much looking at, mainstream consumer trends and you know as people are more and more going over to TikTok 
that means you know disabled people are going on TikTok as consumers and there are already TikTok influencers with a disability. So I think it in in many ways what what the general trends and insights are are still very relevant. Um I think, you know, when you look at there is definitely a larger number of disabilities in the older age bracket. So again, you would just look at where are, say, over 60s consuming their media and their marketing in general and match that up. But I think, yeah, we all know the future is digital. Well, the future, I mean, the, the present is digital. The present is social. So I mean, we're, we are looking at disabled influencers and how that connects disabled people and mainstream brands. And it's already happening and we're getting, you know, really amazing progress so early on with Purple Goat. Great. So I, I, I just want to, to reiterate to anyone listening that if you, you are a business owner or you're a marketeer who's, you know, realizing that, you know, we're not doing enough to this community and, and not just from an ethical point of view, but also from a financial point of view to, to get a return from it, please, please do get in touch with Martin. He is the most impressive um, person that I've met in the last couple of years. We, you know, he's the only other person that we've gone into business with. Um, and it is not in any way, shape or form because he has a disability. It's because he's absolutely brilliant. So from a marketeer point of view, I really, really encourage you to go and pick Martin's brain, um, see what Purple Goat can do for you. Um, because we're already starting to see some great returns for clients where of course they're getting a PR benefit, but they're, they're seeing a return from it straight away. And, and that is how we want to change this market is show brands that they can make money here just like they can from any other consumer group. Um, and so get in touch with Martin. He will show you exactly how we can do that. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Martin. Um, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Um, you know, people can find out more about Martin, obviously, uh, directly through you on LinkedIn. Also go to uh, martinsibley.com or even give the Purple Goat uh, a Google as well and they can find out more. Of course, you're still doing your daily sibs as well on uh, LinkedIn. I also enjoyed your BBC moment, which you had um, today, um, where you had the dog uh, open the door and walk in on you while you were broadcasting over YouTube and LinkedIn. I enjoyed that very much, though. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed that. That was good fun. Um, everyone gets one. Everyone has one. Um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us, Martin. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on. It was really, really insightful chat. And uh, yeah, looking forward to changing the world together. Fantastic. Uh, for myself and Aaron, you can find us at The Goat Agency on LinkedIn or on YouTube, uh, where we vlog our agency's work every single day uh aaron anything else to add before the bank holiday weekend no stay inside stay safe exactly follow the words of boris johnson um thanks for joining us for the thirty thousand foot view do subscribe to our other podcasts and for the meantime stay alert stay at home and listen to podcasts why not you're indoors (laughs) 